Welcome back to The Build Podcast as we continue to walk the beat down memory lane with the legendary Tom Kotcher. Coming up, we chat Tom's wonderful artwork, but before then, we investigate DC Alan Woods. Well, my dad, my dad was a policeman just before the war, and then during the war, he was in Lancaster Bombers. Then he came out and back into the police, 13 years and all. And he would say to me, never take your eye. I mean, dad had gone by the time I joined uh, the bill. But he said, never, he said, one thing you learn is you never take your eyes off a suspect, not for one second. He said, I did once in the police station. And, and these days, some of the police stations up in Glasgow were like little wee hussies and things. And, and they left the uh, the grate the, by the fire and all in the poker. And the guy had a poker and tried to wrap it around my dad's head. He said it was my stupid fault. So I took my eye off him for a mini second. I always remember that. So there was, I thought, what, what this character needs is a focus. And just that total focus you have on the character you're playing with. And that, that gives it an inner strength, a quiet strength. And I thought, I want that. I don't want to be the copper that's a bit dodgy or the copper that's a bit loud. I just want to be the, the sort of quiet, no nonsense sort of guy that you, you really eventually just say, okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, doesn't, he doesn't have to use the brawn, but it's there if he needs it. It's and I, I, a great policeman friend of mine used to work for the Murder Squad, and I used to say, do you ever do you get in many fights? He said, I haven't never been in one. Wow. <laughs> I said, really? He said, no. he said, you try it. That's the thing you try and avoid. So I thought, right, I'll try and avoid it. Because <laughs> I don't want to start every day with fighting an actor I've never seen before. No, I believe. <laughs> In in your second episode, you you do get to use the rugby tackle, and you you uh you you and Mark take down a, a massive fella. You you've got a lovely scene just beforehand with Lucy Benjamin before she joined EastEnders, and and it it, it kind of shows off Alan's very calm. He gets her opening up, and then when he realizes that her psychopathic boyfriend is somewhere around, you grab right hold of her and shake her and. and and enforce the importance of her telling you what you need to know. And it's a brilliant scene of, of, of levels. And then this, this guy's trying to beat the living daylights out of Mark Wingett, and you take him down with a rugby tackle, which uh, it, end, it ends with Carver saying, that tackle, that was a foul, wasn't it? It was too high. And you say, you reckon? And uh, you, you get the drums. Which is uh, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> oh my god! I have to, I have to, you know, get the old videos out and remember that one. Yeah, oh, they were it... fun times. I mean, they were a very interesting show to do. Um, it really was, and you know, it stretched you as an actor. Every, every time you got a script, uh, it was interesting. You know, you think because each one was a separate little story. It, mm. uh, and that, that's what I liked about it as well. Funny enough, the other series that does that is Doctors. Um, not to the same degree, but uh, every story is a separate story. I mean, I've done three or four episodes of Doctors now, and each one, different character, of course, and you've got sort of something like two or three years in between. Um, but each one's a separate story, and I like that. Although, in the bill, of course, you're playing this running character all the way through, but each story, you're dealing with something entire. You could be dealing with a rape, you could be dealing with an assault, you could be dealing with a drugs problem. Uh, and it's, yeah, it opened my eyes. It's so it was so important for the industry as doctors is now in terms of offering that volume of work for actors. It's it's unless you're lucky enough to get that regular role in a soap opera, um, something like Doctors, as the bill was, was so important for actually offering employment 
two actors. Oh, absolutely. And when it finished, it was, I mean, in a way, they should have had something up its sleeve, up their sleeve, sorry, to, to replace it with. I mean, there was, I think it was 27 regular characters all vying for their time. I mean, that's alone. It's a toughie. But, uh, and, but in each episode, you could have up to four, five, six, seven, ten different, you know, visiting actors. And if you stood outside the green room in the studios up at Merton for, for about an hour, your whole career would pass before you because actors that you'd worked with going past 30 years would, oh, hi, how are you doing? Yeah. And the thing about business is that while you're, you're doing one job and people say, oh, do you keep up with your mates and all that? You, you know, you, I said, no, you don't. Well, I don't. Maybe it's because of me. But, uh, but when you meet up again, it could be a year away, it could be five, it could be 30 years, you pick up where you left off. And as I go back to that thing, it's a wonderful camaraderie amongst the acting community when you're working. It's, it's lovely. Is a lovely moment. Uh, it's a it's an episode called Echo, and it's written by uh, Peter J. Hammond, who's one of my favourite writers of a bill because he'd done a lot of Zed Cars, a lot of Dixon and Doc Green, and his yeah. his yeah. scripts are always quite quirky. And there's a lovely guest actor called Adrian Rawlins, who's who's playing a suspect, and and it actually opens with an interrogation scene, which again is quite unusual. There's no build up; it's just you and Mark trying to unpick this guy's story, which keeps changing. There's a lovely use by you. I love the way you, you use a pause in Woods's interview technique. You'll say a line and you'll give it a pause and then you'll go again and, and, and you're chipping away at this guy. I remember the name of that episode. I can't remember that particular scene, but what I was trying to do is the power of silence. Silence is a, is a powerful thing. And before I did, well, when I started to build, did you want to go in any courses? And I went, yeah, I'd love to, thanks very much. So I went in the high speed with, with out with the patrol cars doing all that. That was bloody terrifying. But yeah. then they sent me up to North London to CID. And I also went on a interrogation, a day's interrogation course. which was, So I would play the villain and two real young detectives would try and get the truth out of me. And, and where they sit and their body language and their focus. And I was taking it all in. And what I, what I realized was that the silences that they left, and this has gone back then, I'm sure the technique is, is so much even better now, but even then, it was the silences that, they, that you had to fill. And you, you, so, yeah, I sometimes now go up bit to, to the medical school. My wife and I will help with the communication skills for young doctors to be. So we role play and then we feedback and then we talk to them about communication skills. And one of the things I say is when you're dealing with a patient, power of silence. You, you have, because if you, if you just try and fill everything, you won't get half the information. If you allow that patient to, to you know, sometimes it's difficult, you don't have the time. But if you can, just give them that bit of time and you'll get a lot more information out of them. And that's the interrogation technique. So going back to the bill, is exactly what I was trying to. So I'm glad you picked up on that. Thank you very much. That was nice to know. It's a pleasure, and it's very funny because uh, back then, of course, these are the days before widescreen TV. So you, quite often, you and Mark or Andrew McIntosh in, in your early pairings, you know, you'd leave the interview room, have a scene in the corridor, but it would be such a close up. But your noses are probably like two inches away from each other yeah. to fit yeah. you into the frame. Oh, yeah. That must have been so strange. Oh, yeah. And they used to say Eric Richard and Chris Ellison couldn't do one of these because the, 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 you know, two sized noses in the one shot just wouldn't work. You know? <laughs> I can see that. We're all good mates. But no, it was. It was very, very tough. I mean, 
But the other thing about the bill was the crews. They were outrageously good. What, what would happen is you go into, say, a, a scene in a corridor. So the director say, OK, let's do it. So you'd rehearse it once with the actors and then you'd move it around until you get it where you want it. Right, OK, bring them in. So the crew would then come in, if it's a room, say, an interview room, moving from the corridor, and you'd do the scene for them. The actors would then be given, right, go and have a coffee. Quarter of an hour later, you come back, and the scene was lit, sound was ready, and you start. It was that quick. But it, it, it wasn't rough around the edges. It was done to perfection. I was always a, a great admirer of the crews in the build. Best I've worked for, quite extraordinary. And it was all, and I went back many years later for a, a reunion, and a lot of the crews were there, and, I, and um, I got chatting to them. I said, what are you doing now? Thinking that they moved on to movies and this, that, and the next thing. Oh, painting and decorating or something else, because the business had changed. It just wasn't the work from. Mm. Very sad what we did to the industry. Yeah. Um, so when we go back, going back to what you said, you know, it did, it did employ not just the actors, but a hell of a lot of technicians around. I mean, there was the staff there. You know, on the, what we call the flight deck, all the girls and, uh, and the chaps there, the casting, the, uh, the money side of it. It was it was a big industry. It's a whole sort of factory unit. And uh, so, yes, sadly missed, I think. And I just wish they had sort of picked up another series and ran with it very quickly afterwards because British television is still the best in the world. How quickly did it change your life from a, a public perception point of view? Do you remember a moment where suddenly you were being recognised a lot more? Yes, I remember the moment well. It was in Portugal. And my first few episodes has gone out. Nobody recognised me, which was fine. I'm not into the fame game at all. It doesn't bother me. And uh, <laughs> I was with my wife and my two young kids as well then. And we're in a little shop in a, a marina in Portugal, getting batteries for their Game Boy. And my wife tapped me and she said, look, look outside. I said, what? And I looked out at the shop and there was about seven blokes, all obviously British, eh, about 50s, 60s, obviously one for the golf, because there's a lot of golf around there. So that's a sport I never understood. But anyway, um, and they were all standing there looking at me and pointing at me and Cookie said, they've recognised you. I said, no, they don't. <laughs> Suggested me. I said, they don't know who the hell I am. Yes, they do. And with that, one of them came in and came up to me and said, it's you, isn't it? <laughs> I went, yeah. he said, no, it is you. It is you. <laughs> I said, well, he said, look, mate, I said, I've got a tenor on that it's you. It is you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is me. And he turned around to his mate and said, told you it was John Watson. <laughs> and and, and that, from that moment on, you know, and my feet were planted firmly on the ground. So I thought, right, that's good. I, yeah. you know, I'm not going to get carried away with this one. This is brilliant. <laughs> I'm John Watson. Thank you very much, John. <laughs> I'll have your money, thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was my first moment uh, oh. of, of recognition. <laughs> you, you write so wonderfully in a book about the the PR side, the celebrity appearances in the book. I mean, you, you've had, I haven't heard any of the other cast give kind of stories where, you, you know, you've had helicopters, you've had Princess Anne. That, that was that was interesting. Uh, do you want to hear that? I'd love <laughs> to hear that. We all would. What it was, was I'd been invited to come to Wandsworth Prison, where I'd been a few times filming, by the way, not as an inmate. And uh, <laughs> it was for friends of the victims of crime. That was it. And I said, I think that's a very good thing to the victims of crime units, you know, to look after the victims sort of thing. So, and I said, what, do, what am I supposed to do? He said, well, just go along. You'll be in the sort of, in the crowd just to watch what's going on. Princess Anne's going to be there. 
Terry Waite and head of the prison service. I said, oh, fine. Anyway, I got there, and the security there, so you wouldn't believe. So eventually, we were shuffled into this Nissan hut, one sort of prison. The gates all shut down, all this. And they were told that uh, it's slightly late. I said, all right. So I sat down, all these rows of seats, and I'm looking at all the TV cameras, and there's this dais rostrum with the four seats. And then the woman who organised it came up to me and said, um, thanks for coming, Tom. I said, that's all right. I'm to said, um, do you think you could do us a favour? I said, certainly. He said, you see, Terry Waite's been held up. I said, what, again? He said, no, 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 no. His plane's been delayed. And uh, would you speak on his behalf? I said, no. I said, I don't know anything about this. I said, well, in front of TV, oh, oh it'll be all right. There's some leaflets. Oh, Christ. So that was that offshoot. So, you know, up to then, I was quite looking forward to it. And I thought, oh, my God. What? I mean, anyway, everybody saunters in eventually. You all stand and we sit. And it started with the head of the prison service giving a great speech about five minutes long. And then it was Michael Howard, that was it, Prince of Darkness, as he's called. He did a great speech, fantastic. And then Princess Anne did a speech. And it was really, I mean, to perfection the way they do it. They do it all the time. And then the announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, Terry Wade's been uh, delayed on his flight from Delhi. And, and Tom Cotter, if he was in the bill, has uh, agreed to say a few words. And I stood up. And all the cameras spun round, and I, I looked at Princess Anne. She looked at me, and she folded her arms right, right back, and had the most mischievous grin on her face I've ever seen. And, and I said, "Your Royal Highness, this is General Home Secretary." I said, "Before I start," and there was a horrible hush because they thought, "Oh my God, maybe he's an anarchist. What's he going to say?" And I said. I'm very pleased to know, ma'am, that your son is free to join Scottish rugby and not English rugby. And there was a moment, and then she laughed, and everybody else laughed. It was all right. I got away with it. There was a terrifying moment. Met her afterwards. Lovely lady. (laughs) Your night out for the... uh, When when you have an incident with your trousers. Oh, crikey. That was the 500th anniversary of the bill. Yes. I'm not very good in crowds. I get a little bit nervous. So I had a few drinks before I got there. And when I stepped out, when I saw some of the crew going in that I knew, it was down off Haymarket, a big ballroom place. Here I go, and I stepped out, somebody was running past, and here they bumped into me, and I was flying. <laughs> so my trousers were covered in grit and things. So I went in there and stretched the loo and uh, washed my hands. And as I washed my hands, <laughs> the water bounced out of the wash hand basin and covered the crotch of my trousers. So now I've got dirty hands. I'm wet from the waist to my knees. I thought, dear God almighty, I shouldn't be like, oh, so I'll, I'll take them off and I'll dry them in the hand. Well, I can't stand there on the trousers. But nobody was there, so I stood in the hand basin and I was, well, I was trying to dry them while I was still on against the, the hand dryer. It was halfway up the bloody wall. So you can imagine the sort of comments that were made. That was, but that's the sort of thing that happens. I, you know, that's, <laughs> <laughs> the tough thing for me. I don't know how I'm still here. Honestly, <laughs> all of but there uh, was some good laughs. Well, yeah. it's actually one of your best the bill episodes, and is a wonderful scene which does take place in a gent's loo by by a, a, a weird segue here. But um, it's an episode with Ken Bones guest starring as a as a a bit of a bent superintendent. Oh, yeah. It's a solid performance from you because you're put in the position of the, you're the moral high ground here where you know what's going on, that, that this 
superintendent is bending a witness's statement to implicate someone to put him away. Yeah. You're not having any of it. You go to Simon Rouse. You have a brilliant scene with him where he's he's like, my hands are tied. You've got to just forget about it. Then you have yeah. this great scene with Ken Bones where you let it all out. And for the first time, you get top billing as well, which is nice. Yeah, it's lovely when that happens. It's like, I mean, everybody loves a happy ending. And yeah. I have to say, when you get an episode where you think you're, you've done, you know, you're only kidding on at the end of the day, but when you think you've actually done something that's it's come out right, justice has been served, there's a sort of bit of smugness. <laughs> it yeah. certainly do. Well, that's a nice one. I like this script, yes. Let's have some more of them, please. How much were you allowed to improvise? Because there's a moment I've noticed where I think this is a nice bit of improvisation on your part. You and Chris Ellison arrive at a suspect's house and she's upstairs at the window and you ask her to come down. Now, is that, yeah. because it was essentially in real time, the bill, you've got to wait. There's no jump cut. And so you start tapping a football anthem on your warrant card. You start tapping, and then Chris Ellison gives you a look and you stop doing it. And it's a lovely little yeah. moment, which I can't believe was scripted. I, I think that's a nice yeah. bit of business between no, you I both. Think- yeah, some actors in there you could work with and do these things. Chris was one of them. Chris and I, we kind of tuned in very quickly because we knew each other anyway. And Kevin was the other one and Mark and uh, Eric Richards, Andy Mack as well. There's some you know very talented people in there. And you could bring elements to it, providing it didn't get in the way of the strips. Because, uh, you could go in and say, listen, I wouldn't say that that way. Can I say it this way? And yeah, that, that would be changed, but it would be changed before you went into the scene. Um, to shoot it, but things like that that you sometimes can do. I, I, I remember once I did a series called Flickers, and it was with Bob Oskins and Francis O'Toole as the main characters, and I was playing this sort of daft little assistant producer, and it was about the early days of the movies, and Granville Saxon was playing the producer, and he, you know, 10 seconds before a take, would suddenly start to introduce a bit of business. <laughs> what I mean by that is he said, listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to flick my cigarette. You catch the ash. What? Action. And we <laughs> and we do it. And I catch the ash. And then we go, <laughs> and, you know, and, and we get away with all this nonsense. But uh, there's, some, there's some actors. You could actually, it's lovely when that happens. You know, I did a scene in um, the Fado Farce uh, with a, a lovely actor called Kit Thacker. And it was the bug watcher. And it goes, I knots this piece. That's the thing about theatre is you have to go a hell of a piece. It was theatre. There was one point, I'm, I'm the sort of husband, the young husband, and he's always off hunting, trying to find one and things. And uh, I'm changing my trousers. And it's a long scene. So I chat, 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 both ways. And Kit comes on eating a sandwich. He'd never done this before. <laughs> and I, I'm looking at him. And now and again, you take that pause and look, where did the sandwich come from? And you're trying to do that, to do the scene. And the next thing is, I, I'm trying to tuck my shirt in, and I'm having a bit of a difficulty. So he takes his walking stick, shoves it down the back of my trousers to put my shirt in while he's eating his sandwich. And it became a route. I mean, these things happen now and again, out of nothing. And providing, as I say, they don't get in the way of the actual plot, the script, that doesn't muck up anybody else, then it, they can only add. I love that sort of intro stuff. 
Yeah, there's some lovely moments that you, you do some great comedy rolling of your eyes in the bill, which is very, very good. When uh, when Peter Ellis first asked Alan to set up a, a rugby team, you said, oh, that would be great, sir. And you, as he walks behind you, you roll your eyes yeah, as you're yeah. turning. Very, very clever. And uh, that's, called, that's called method acting. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it must have been interesting for you because halfway through your time on the bill, there was a big cast change. Chris Ellison, Tony Scannell, Nuala Conwell, they, they all they all moved on. And yes, you've, then yeah. you've got new new colleagues, Kerry Pierce, Mary Jo Randall, Martin Marquez. They pit you up against Jay Griffiths as Sally Johnson. Yeah. And, and it's nice because it shows another sign to Alan that you actually have the line, her appointment's so politically correct, it's unreal, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she was great. Yeah, I love working with Jay. And we did bounce off each other. And we got on very well as actor and actress anyway, you know. So once you get that sort of that camaraderie going before you even start rehearsing, that's important because the groundwork's all laid. And then you can get on with the job. And uh, she was receptive. I was receptive to ideas and if there's any changes. And, uh, yeah, good actress. Great to work with. Really, really interesting. And it, it must have been nice for you when, by that point, you are one of the most established of the regular CID cast and you, you're getting to welcome in you, guess, you know people who've been in your position two years before you know you were in their position yeah the only downside is that some of the guys that were coming in were coming in as DSEs that's detective sergeant now was a DC so they were higher rank so they had to have quite a few episodes where they became established which was absolutely fine but then they would be the dynamic in the scene because they would be the one that would be told, right, go and find such a villain. So they'd plan the operation, and you were the sidekick. So many episodes, you would just be there, not doing that much, but you had to be there. And I found that, towards the end, frustrating. As I said to the producer, this is built around the DS, because I'm afraid it is, Tom, at the moment. And I found that, that side of it a bit frustrating. Having said that, when well, well, I did get a nice episode, I was working with these people, it was absolutely fine. I think your your last really great episode is is one called Crossfire. Clara Salomon is the guest star, and there's a lot of scenes with just you and her, and she she's a she's a, a victim of beaten up, but she won't say who's done it. And you've got lots of scenes where you go back to visit her to unravel the story and get her on yeah. side to then set up a sting. Yeah. You were a very strong leading man you know in your in your episodes when you got them it's a shame they didn't use you more and so yeah you know, i've always said that I was, I was underused in the series and yeah. i said that's amazing and uh so the first few years were great anyway but then it started to but then you get seduced by the fact that you know just bought the house blah, 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 you know and, and it's difficult to walk away from that into the abyss of unemployment so you say well hang on see and every now and again you got a cracking script and you went for it you know and it was lovely but i did find it a lot of the time quite frustrating mm. but i i don't regret any of it uh, you know the time in the bill was was fab so the standard of acting in britain is is it's, it really is. You, you have to prove yourself every episode and everything you do these days because uh, it's bloody good. So it was your decision to to move on after the four years? No, it, no, it wasn't. It, it was it, let, let, let's move on quickly. But it was more political that I left because uh, uh, you know there's a there's another three year contract and within mm, seven months they pulled it and that was the end of that. But right. it's. But to be honest with you, I remember the last time I drove out this place, I cheered. I said, that's that. And I always think, when I go up for a job, when I go up for an interview and I've got the script with me, and you do your interview, you come out, I always put it in the bin as I walk out. It doesn't matter whether it's a 
whether it's a TV part, I don't know, a commercial thing or whatever, because I've always got this thing of, it's done, it's over, until the next job. Now, if that job should turn up, it's like, yeah, they'll send me another script, thanks very much. So well, that door's closed. I've learned a lot, I've enjoyed that. No regrets, and I move on. That's, that's the way I like to play. But interesting enough, it was when I came out of the bill, uh, I thought I'll rely on my voiceovers, which I was doing a hell of a lot of, to keep me going. And that was when Equity called us a voiceover strike. So I thought, oh, this is good. <laughs> you know, tax, blah, blah, blah. This is, you know, it can't get any better, can it? Anyway, and then it was two and a half years before I got back on the box. And that was Nigel Haver's, um, what was it called again? Dangerfield, yeah, and I played a grubby wee character, which was fantastic, <laughs> totally different sort of character I've been missing back in the bill. But it was uh, Bob Banks Stewart who had created Shoestring, Lovejoy, Bergerac, Darling Buds and May. He had cast me in a series called Making News based on a pilot we did back in 89. And uh, Thames Television at that time did pilots, they did about six. And the one that the, the audiences liked went to a series, and they picked mine, thank you very much. And there was no names in it. Well, it was, but there at the time. There was Bill Nye, Charlotte Attenborough, me. Nobody knew us then. But people uh, go on to become one. Two years after leaving the bill, Bob phoned me, and he said, Tom, you've got a problem. I said, what's that? He said, well, I just put your name forward for something. And the casting director said, oh, yes. And I said, he's very good. And she said, yes, he's very good, but he's the bill. So... Two years after leaving the bill, I was still thought of as the bill. Wow. So I was uncastable. And it wasn't until two years, nine months before, I mean, I was working, I was doing back into theatre and whatever, whatever. But it was two years, nine months before I actually worked with the camera again. So I thought that's, that's an interesting thing. You've kind of made up for it because you, you've had a, a wonderful career once you were back, obviously I've, I've interviewed, I don't know, 20, 25 actors from the bill now. And I'd, I'd say of people to have had post Sunhill television careers, you've had one of the best success rates, you know, you've, you've had longevity. I mean, uh, yeah, thanks for that. I mean, of course, what I've done, I've did the C word, I've done four hobbies, two doctors, River City. I loved your, your crime histories. That, that is a wonderful part. Yeah, that that was that was lovely to do. Was working with Jason Isaacs, that was a really interesting one. Um, it was up at the Portobello uh, Racecourse up in Edinburgh, and he was a, a re- and also it was working with Siobhan, lovely Scottish actress. And um, yeah, he was a he was a wheeler dealer, bookie, dodgy, the whole thing. It was all in there, and I thought, oh, this is lovely. I love these sort of characters because playing. See, when you play somebody like Woods. You, you can't hide behind the, the grubbiness or the beard or the snarly look, so you've got to be very straight. So when you get something like that, you think, oh, it's, it's actually kind of easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in, in a funny sort of way, as, as long as you're honest, you know, play the honesty of the character. You, your other talent is, is your art. And, and have you been able to turn a hobby into a business or is it is it just a hobby and escapism or yeah it all started with um there's a thing called artist open houses here in bryson and once or twice a year people open the houses for artists to exhibit and all the general public go around and look at the work for a lot of people it's just to see other people's houses see what their color scheme is (laughs) but there's ceramics there's jewelry there's all sorts of craft work some of it is outstanding and some of it ain't. And I can remember looking at one, saying to Cookie, I said, that little thing over there, 700 quid. I said, a tiny wee canvas. I said, duck egg blue with a couple of strokes on it. It's called a cliff. I said, I don't believe that. I could do that. 
And it was kind of a go on then. So I did, I started, I was up in London, and one of the things I loved doing is art galleries, and I walked into one, and I was very taken by a painting, and the, the, the person looking after it said, you like that one? I said, it's amazing, the vibrancy you can get with oil. She said, that's not oil. So I said, what is it? And she said, acrylics. What's acrylics? Told me. So I went out and bought a box of acrylics, three brushes, and a wee canvas. And I started doing seascapes, and it was Chris Ellison who had called in with his wife, and I wasn't in, and, and he happened to see some of the wee paintings I'd done. And I said, who did these? Tommy, really? He said, well, he's not there yet, but there's something in that. He said, tell him to go to Julianne Gilbert, who's an artist in the seafront of her own gallery. And I, I had to pluck up the garage, and I took about 11 of my pieces, and she said, look, she said, to be honest, I would take nine of these and put them in. Oh, so that gave me the, the sort of springboard. And, and she said, would you paint a picture for a charity auction? And I did, and I was so taken by it, and that was it. I was hooked, and uh, so I opened, had the audacity to open my own little, um, my own little gallery in Kemptown, which I closed about four years ago because I wasn't really, I didn't want to do exhibition after exhibition. I just wanted to be a gallery. People walked in and they buy your paintings or not. And so I always made the rent, but there wasn't always enough left over to make a living out of this. So I thought, right, I'm going to work from home. And there's a gallery in London called the Llewellyn Alexander Gallery who picked me up. Uh, they were opposite the old Vic Theatre. And for four years, I was with them, and it was wonderful, and they were so good to me. And I exhibited there until this year, and the lady retired. So anybody out there want to offer me some gallery space, please? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got about 40 paintings here, folks. And uh, But I love it. It's therapeutic. Yeah, I've got my tomcotcherart.com. If you want to have a wee look at what I do. There's two, there's two styles here. There's seascapes and landscapes, which are pretty traditional. Then I do what I call... Uh, my, my interiors, which are slightly quirky, I call them naive Matisse style. Uh, Matisse because they're highly colourful and naive because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and that's it. But uh, yeah, I enjoy it. That's, as I say, I, I like doing something creative. If I'm not doing something creative, I get a bit itchy feet and want to do something else. And it, 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 there's a fun thing about if you're creative, if you're doing one thing, it helps the other. It, if you don't do anything at all that's creative and you haven't been working for a year, and then you go onto into a rehearsal studio or onto a set of TV, you're meant to be up and running at the top of your form immediately. That's a tough call. Yeah. If you're doing something like writing or painting or anything that is creative, your creative bit in you, whatever it's called, the juice is already running. And you, you really get up to speed a lot quicker. That's what I find anyway. Well, there's going to be a lot of happy fans listening to this. And, and I, I've, I've done a little tease on the Facebook page of... of um, like like Hangman putting the the character uh, DC Alan Woods, but all blank and underlined. And, and I asked I asked fans to guess who it could be. Who is Oliver investigating? And someone wrote, <laughs> "Please be Alan Woods." Really? Glad my wife wrote in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's I'll be, that, be my agent. <laughs> no, it's, it's a lovely gentleman called Paul Morris. He's an Australian fan, and so yeah, Alan Woods is he's still big in Australia. So there we go. Well, my brother-in-law who emigrated to Sydney many many years ago keeps saying, "Come over, come over," and and I've always been tempted to have a wee look. Uh, once I get over the spiders and the snakes routine, I might just pop <laughs> over and say hello. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you've very kindly given your time uh, very generously for free. And what we ask the listeners to do is donate to uh, a charity of your choice. So is there a charity oh, that, that means something to you that people can donate a couple of quid to? 
Yes, uh, the Heart Foundation, uh, which my mum always did after the loss of my dad. So I think the Heart Foundation would be good. I'll, I'll pop a link on at the end. Was this a nice surprise? I mean, I remember you said you, you, you found it quite humorous, a, a podcast about the bill, you know, quite a niche thing. Was, was it a nice surprise to be asked? And, and... I'll, I'll be absolutely honest with you, Oliver. I didn't know what a podcast was. And I, 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 you know, I really thought it was some sort of splint thing. So <laughs> you put on after you've had a, an injury that you shouldn't have been doing, you know. And podcast, and I said to my son, I said, oh, Dad, it's, oh, I see, okay, fair enough, because as, as, as you know, technology isn't my, my thing. Um, and then when I heard about it, and then I, when you talked about it, and then uh, I, I, I heard what Andy Mack, I heard a bit of his one, yeah. and uh, I thought, oh, Andy, how are you doing? I haven't seen you since I left. Oh, nice to hear your voice. And then, um, then I knew you were crusher, and then that was it. I thought, oh, this will be interesting. This is fun. Yeah. So, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed it, my pal. Um, so, for me, every Sunday morning, when my wife listens to the answer, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's either you or Andy Marr, so what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> Just to finish, what is your message to fans of the bill, to fans of DC Allen Woods, who will be absolutely thrilled to have heard from you today? Thank you. <laughs> That's my message. Is thank you for liking the character I played. And uh, I just remember, I've been in your sitting room, so I've seen you too. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a thing. I was, I was in uh, just very quickly. I was in Brentford uh, visiting a friend years ago when it was when the bill was on, and I just come out of the pub and I walked past the sitting room. And there's a whole family sitting watching television, and I saw on television, and there was an episode of the bill, and it was a full frontal, as it were, face of me in close up on the telly and they were absolutely fascinated watching this scene and I was so tempted to knock the window and go hello <laughs> <laughs> and when my son my younger son was so small he used to look at the television then look at me then look at the television look, and he couldn't work out how it could be in two places at once oh. but there you go oh, anyway there you go it. lovely to talk to you Oliver thank you for your time and to all the Bill fans God bless you all huge thanks to Tom for his time and delightful company. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat. There are loads more hilarious tales from his life and career in his autobiography I'm Clear, What's It Like Up Your End? Which you can buy on Amazon so if Santa's got you some vouchers why not put your feet up with a wee dram in one hand and Tom's book in the other and have a good giggle. Tom's nominated charity is the British Heart Foundation. You can find out more and make a donation at www.bhf.org.uk. For now, you lucky lot, you get three episodes this month as Santa is bringing you a Christmas special edition of the Bill podcast with the mighty Peter Ellis. (laughs) 